when we start to realize the impact that we're having on ourselves and on the greater world at the same time by the food choices that we make, we move to another level of responsibility because we see that our food choices actually are ways of engaging with the planet and the life forms on this planet in ways that we may not always know about, but it's really great to talk about it so we can know about it. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Mind Valley podcast. Our guest today is a remarkable man. Now, firstly, how many of you here have heard of Baskin Robbins? Obviously, pretty much 99% of you, unless you've been sleeping under a rock. What I want you to know is that John Robbins is the son of the founder of Baskin Robbins, but he walked away from a billion-dollar empire to start something called the Food Revolution Summit. It's actually starting on April 24th this year. I'm going to give you a link coming soon. But this is what I love about our guest today, John Robbins has written nine bestsellers that have collectively sold more than 3 million copies, translated into 31 languages. And these include such incredible bestsellers, such as Diet for a New America, The Food Revolution, and Healthy at 100. He's the founder of EarthSafe International and co-founder and president of the Half a Million Member Food Revolution Network. He's inspired millions to make healthy food choices that reverse illnesses like diabetes, heart disease, and also contribute to a compassionate and more sustainable world. He's been all over the American media. Here's the crazy thing. John was the son, the only son, of the founder of the Baskin-Robbins billion-dollar ice cream empire. I love Baskin-Robbins. I grew up in Malaysia. There were Baskin-Robbins in my neighborhood. My daughter, when she found out I was introducing John, she gave me a list of questions to ask John. You're probably not actively involved in Baskin-Robbins, but my daughter Eve was very excited nonetheless. And she wanted to know what is the ickiest flavor you guys ever came up with. You don't have to <laughs> Now, John has spoken at the United Nations. He's received a standing ovation. But his life is what I love most about him. It's a life dedicated to creating an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, and society for a just human presence on the planet. He lives with his wife, Dio, his son, Ocean, and his daughter-in-law, Michelle, and their grandsons, River and Bodie, in the hills outside Santa Cruz, California, which incidentally, John, is where I've signed the papers formalizing my company, Mind Valley. My former co-founder was also a guy from Santa Cruz. So thank you so much for being here on the Mind Valley podcast. There's so many topics we can talk about. I want to welcome all our members of our live audience. And for those of you who are listening to this online, here's a website where you can learn about John's Food Summit. I want to give it to you in advance because I know how ADD some of you guys are and you love listening and browsing at the same time. So it's go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. Go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. Now, for those of you who are live, type in your love for John. If you've read his books, if you've been involved in his projects, if you're part of his Million Member Food Revolution Network, Show some love and appreciation. I'm going to be reading out some of the comments out here to John. John, welcome. So good to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be with you all. So, John, I'd like to start with a very obvious question. How on earth did you walk away from 31 flavors of ice cream? Because ice cream is not a health food. Ice cream cone isn't going to kill anybody, and it gives a lot of people momentary pleasure, temporary pleasure, but at a cost. And my uncle, Bert Baskin, my dad's brother-in-law and co-founder and co-owner of Baskin-Robbins, died of a heart attack at the age of 54. He was a very big guy. He ate a lot of ice cream. And when he died, I asked my father, do you think there could be a connection between my uncle's, the amount of ice cream he'd eat, and his fatal heart attack? And my father said, no, 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 don't ever ask that question again. He just didn't want to even consider the possibility and there is a link. <laughs> it's scientifically proven. And the more ice cream you eat and the more junk food you eat and the more highly processed food you eat and the more factory farm meat you eat. There's a lot of food stuffs that are available today that we've normalized that a lot of us eat that are killing us, that are causing heart disease, leading to heart attacks, causing cases of diabetes, causing all of us to be less than we could be, leading to dementia when we get older, cognitive impairments as we move in that direction. 
so many ways that our life force is compromised and subdued by the food we're eating. And that doesn't have to be. We can eat food that will actually give us the highest possibility of living our life purpose fully and beautifully and lovingly and caringly with other people. We can do something about the mess our planet's in. We can do something about the biodiversity loss and the species extinction. We can do something about the greenhouse gas emissions. We can do something about our own health all at the same time. And so I saw that and I saw that, well, working at Baskin Robbins, I'd be a rich guy right now if I'd done that. I'd be very wealthy and I'd be very unhappy. I'd probably be fat also, but I definitely would be miserable because I wouldn't have done what I'm on this earth to do. I wouldn't have lived in alignment with what I experienced to be the calling and the mission of my life and the purpose of my life. So there wasn't any choice for me. Yes, I left enormous financial security and I moved into a lot of financial insecurity. And people could think, well, why would you do that? One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. That. And the answer is because I felt so much more emotionally secure and spiritually secure because I was now living in accord with who I really am in my heart and soul and who I am in this world that needs so much healing and help. You know, John, I love this. One of the things you speak about is eating in a humane way. What does this mean? We have normalized a way of producing animal products, meat and dairy products and eggs that come now in today's world increasingly from industrialized, what are called factory farms. They coop the animals up, they confine them under conditions. Honestly, you don't have to be a vegetarian or an animal rights activist or a particularly empathic human being, actually. If you see it, if you see how extreme the cruelty is in factory farming, to be appalled by it, to be abhorred by it, to say, I don't want to contribute to this. I don't want to put the products of this type of cruelty into my body. I don't want misery on my menu. And I don't want my dollars to support more of this. I want to be a conscientious objector. To eat a humane diet is to be a conscientious objector from that form of cruelty, that type of mass production of animals that ignores their basic needs, that doesn't let them move hardly at all. They're so confined, they can't take a single step in their entire lives. It's a level of cruelty that I think is an insult to the human-animal bond, to our capacity to relate caringly and respectfully to other life forms and other creatures on this, who share this planet with us and who draw breath from the same source as we do. John, I love how you put that. Now, is this true only for the United States, or is this also true for places, countries like Europe? Good question. It is true most in the United States, but it is true throughout the industrialized world and increasingly throughout the entire world. The sadness is that this system of meat production and dairy product production and egg production, factory farming, industrialized livestock production may have begun in the U.S., but it also began in Europe and other ways, and it has spread. It spread because it's short-term cost effective. 
They externalize all the costs onto the public. It's tremendously polluting of the air and the water. It's tremendously cruel, as we've been mentioning. It produces an inferior product that leads to heart disease and leads to cancers and leads to dementias. We don't need it. They're cutting down the rainforests. They're using up tremendous amounts of wild lands to convert into land that can be used to grow the crops, the enormous amounts of feed that are needed to feed the enormous amounts of animals that are cooped up in these conditions. We do not need to eat nearly that much meat, and we should be eating better meat if we're going to eat meat at all. What about people who can't afford it, though? So, John, 16 hours ago, Michelle Obama got on The Daily Show, and she spoke about how she's hoping to encourage healthy eating with her new show. I believe it's on Netflix. So as I was listening to Michelle Obama this morning, she said something really interesting. She said, look, when we were growing up, going to a fast food restaurant was a treat. Most of the time, we brought food home and we cooked at home. But today, going to the fast food restaurant is the normal. Cooking at home is the treat. And I found this really interesting. For the poor in America, it's cheaper to eat at McDonald's because many of them are working two, three jobs. It's cheaper to eat at McDonald's than to come home, cook, take care of the kids. What is a sustainable solution where, yes, we can be humane to the animals, but we can also ensure that people in America who cannot afford to cook healthy food at home, who cannot afford organic, can also get a nutritious meal? I admire her a lot. People may not know that the first date she ever had with Barack when they first met He took her to Baskin-Robbins. And the reason he did that was because his first job was working in a Baskin-Robbins. Right. right. There's a lot of people who have stories like that. Yeah. You mentioned her, and I found that fascinating. That's so funny. What a beautiful coincidence. And I I know know that Baskin-Robbins Barack worked at. I passed by it in Hawaii. That's good. Go on. She makes a really great point that healthy food is not as available, not as accessible, and not as affordable as it needs to be. And one of the reasons for that, you mentioned in the U.S., I'll give a U.S. example. In the U.S., the government subsidizes high fructose corn syrup, and it subsidizes soy production, genetically engineered soy production. And then those products are used to feed the animals. So subsidizing the feed that is fed to the animals lowers the price per pound that people pay for factory farm meat. That same corn and soy is used, both of it genetically engineered, is used, it's fractionated, it's turned into corn syrup, it's turned into many types of things are derived from soy that are in our ultra-processed foods. So by subsidizing those genetically engineered crops, we are subsidizing the price that those highly processed foods are sold for in the public square, in the grocery markets and so forth. The result of that is that we're making the worst foods, the least healthy foods and also the least compassionate foods and the most unethical foods, the cheapest for people to buy. And then so people who are very price sensitive, people who are struggling financially, have to, are forced to eat at McDonald's because it's cheap and it's quick and they don't have a lot of money and they don't have a lot of time. And that's their answer. And I understand that. It's not their fault at all. We need to change things. I think we need to subsidize healthy food. What if we put a tax on pesticides, for example, and use the resources from that to lower the price of organic food? What if we, instead of subsidizing high fructose corn syrup, subsidize fresh fruits and vegetables so they would be more affordable for the people who are struggling financially, who have limited means, and they deserve, much as anyone else, to have healthy food available to them. And at Food Revolution Network, which is putting on this summit, our mission is healthy, ethical, and sustainable food for all. For all. We want everyone to be healthy, everyone to have good food available, and not have to depend on McDonald's or the five, the 7-Eleven where they buy donuts and other packaged junk food. There are places in the United States and elsewhere in the industrialized world, too, sadly, where It's actually easier to find a pack of cigarettes than it is to find an organic banana or apple. And that says something about our values and what we've subsidized and what corporations are controlling our policies. We need to change it. And our our organization is working very diligently to do that along with others. You can count on me for support, John. The American food system is now invading the rest of the world. 
I lived a good deal of my life in the United States, but I was born in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Can you guess what is the number one company in the Malaysian Stock Exchange? No, I can't. It's Tell me. Nestle. It's Nestle. 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 Can you guess which company? There was an expose by the New York Times. Can you guess which company funds the official Malaysian government nutrition body that certifies what's healthy and what's not? Once I again. Yes, Nestle. Nestle, right? <laughs> so the New York Times did an expose. So the New York Times, I love the Times, and they started doing these exposés on how big food is corrupting the health of nations. And Malaysia was the result of one of those exposés. Malaysia became the fattest country in Asia. 47% of adult Malaysians over 18 are clinically obese. And Nestle had a campaign in Malaysia where they were convincing Malaysian kids to drink a product called Milo, which is essentially maltodextrin. It's 40% sugar, but it's positioned as a healthy drink. Every Malaysian kid, including myself, grew up on Milo. What they don't say is that, you know, it's 40% sugar. A glass of Milo, which you then take with condensed milk, can contain up to 50 grams of sugar. And they're putting that in a Malaysian child before sending him to school. No wonder we have a 47% obesity rate. But the thing is, traditional Malaysian food because Malaysia's in the tropics. Traditional Malaysian food came from the markets. It was organic papayas. These were organic even before the word organic was a thing. But what's happened right now is a lot of them have been shoved away. Now, Malaysians shop in modern American-style grocery stores, where statistically 74% of the products on the shelves contain sugar. And it's devastating. It's devastating to the health of people in my country. It's devastating to the health of other countries to take on this American diet. So it's a massive problem that we have to solve. It is. People in the United States eat their own weight. The average person eats their own weight and added sugars in their food every year, their own weight. And then they wonder why they're having trouble controlling their weight. And so many other metabolic processes in the body are disrupted and impaired by that much sugar consumption. It does lead to obesity. It does lead to diabetes. We know that without doubt, but it also leads to heart disease. It also leads to dementia, just a plethora of problems. And even if a person who's eating that way doesn't experience heart disease yet, doesn't know if they ever will, mm -hmm. it's still undermining your connection to your life force. It's an artificial food. They, the body isn't, it didn't evolve to take this kind of sugar consumption. So your body has to do different things to cope. All of those things cost you energetically, cost you metabolically, cost your immune system, take energy away from other things that your body and mind and heart would like to do, to just cope with the inflammation, to just cope with the oxidization, to just cope with all these chemicals that are now in our food supply. And I guarantee you that your Milo drink, which I haven't ever experienced, had chemicals in it that don't belong in the human body. Because that's what these grocery manufacturers do. That's what these food companies do. They don't think about your health. They do think about what will sell. They do think what it will cost them to get that to you. They think a lot about their profits. They don't think at all about whether the food they're providing to you and selling to you will be good for your body or your heart or your soul or your mind or your life in any way. That's unethical in my judgment. I want to share my screen for a second and show people the list of books that you've written, okay? Because you're going to be piquing a lot of interest right now. And I want to do two things to the people who are listening. These are John's books. If you type in John Robbins books, they'll show up on Google. John has sold 3 million books. John, if we could read one book of yours, what is the starter book? What's the first book we should be reading? The most transformative book in terms of changing our relationship with food. I would say Diet for a New America. But please don't let the word America confuse you. Yeah, it's a U.S.-centric situation because that is spreading around the world. I was in Tokyo at one point talking, and I realized there were more Baskin-Robbins stores in Tokyo than there were in Los Angeles, which is where the company originated. The fact is that the U.S. companies and way of eating food and way of producing food is spreading worldwide. Yes. So it's really diet for a new world. And in fact, when I wrote the sequel to it, it may all be fed, the subtitle was diet for a new world. So you'd recommend we read diet for a new America? Knowing that it is really about what is taking place, what may be originated in the U.S. 
I want to show a couple of other things. First, I spoke about Michelle Obama speaking about uh, food advocacy on The Daily Show. That's where you can find it. Just type in Michelle Obama Daily Show. This was released on March 23rd, which is the date we're recording this. Secondly, this is the Food Revolution Summit website. You can go to go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. Go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. Register early. If you want to go deeper in this topic, John, how many speakers are going to be sharing their wisdom in this summit? 25. They're all people I've hand-selected and we've hand-selected and invited. They are the most credible, the most science-based, the most eloquent, the most informed, and the most compassionate people in the food movement in the world. We have the luxury of having anybody pretty much that we want to speak in our summit. All of our people are, are really extraordinary. They're good presenters. They'll help you know what you need to know in order to live a life that you're here to live, to be as vital and vibrant and alive as possible. Your emotions are resilient and creative. You really can live the life you're here to live and perform at whatever your chosen performance is with the best of yourself. That's completely true. Food transforms everything. Mind Valley has over 50 programs at this point. The program that I think creates the most visible transformation in people is WildFit, which is our program teaching people how to eat healthy and using behavioral change design to remove your psychological and emotional attachment to bad foods, right? People take WildFit and they no longer even crave pizza or ice cream. I'm a WildFit transformation. If you look at pictures of me before 2016, I literally look like a different person. Food transforms you. Now, I would just want to remind those of you who are listening to this on the podcast or watching this episode on Instagram or YouTube, I hope you don't feel like I'm pressing this, but I really want you to go to go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit and sign up. Firstly, it's completely free. John is an activist. It's completely free. And I'm trying to help John make this the biggest online health summit that's ever happened. He has 300,000 people signed up right now. The summit happens from April 24th to May 2nd. So there's a speaker or two every day. It's starting April 24th, which is exactly a month from now. And I'm hoping we can get several tens of thousands of Mind Valley people enrolled as well. Because guys, look, this is going to transform every dimension of your health. Food impacts your emotional states, your cognition, the way you look, but also you're going to learn how to make the planet saner. So again, go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. Now, John, on that note, so people are saying, join, I just joined, I registered, just did this, love wild fit, agree, let's all get on the summit, awesome. Now, John, speaking of the planet, I want you to share some wisdom with us. I want you to tell us three things that we could change about our life right now to help the planet. What can we change about our eating? that can actually make us create a more sustainable society on planet Earth? That's a great question. Because sometimes we only think about what we eat in terms of the pleasure it gives us, the immediate gratification and the taste, and the convenience and cost, and, and maybe the health impact on ourselves. But when we start to realize the impact that we're having on ourselves and on the greater world at the same time by the food choices that we make, we move to another level of responsibility because we see that our food choices actually are ways of engaging with the planet and the life forms on this planet in ways that we may not always know about, but it's really great to talk about it so we can know about it. And you asked me for three things that people can do. Eat less meat, particularly industrial meat, factory farm meat. If you can eat none, that's even better because the greenhouse gas emissions and the environmental pollutions that come out of these places are extravagant. The World Health Organization and the FAO of the UN have said that the greenhouse gas emissions owing to industrial agriculture, industrial food, animal agriculture, surpasses those coming from the transportation sector. There's more greenhouse gas emissions coming from meat production, essentially, than from all the cars and trucks and planes and all the other forms of transportation in the whole world. So it's really an amazing thing. You can reduce your carbon footprint. You can make a statement on behalf of the climate. You can have an impact on the climate by eating less or no meat. Secondly, is to eat organic when you can. I realize it's usually more expensive and less available. That's a shame, and we want to change that. 
But if you can, and when you can, you'll get less pesticide residues in the food that you eat, so that's good. But you'll also be sparing the farm workers the amount of pollution and toxicity that they have to work in, in producing what's called conventional food. I don't think it's really conventional. I think it's poison. Growing foods with poisons is not a good idea for our health or the health of the biosphere. We're poisoning a lot of creatures by doing this. In, in the U.S., the monarch butterfly is close to extinction because of our use of Roundup on great amounts of cornfields, genetically engineered cornfields. We're going to, look, going to possibly lose about 20 butterfly species in the next few years. You know, every time the species goes extinct, a part of our heart dies. We are connected more to the animals and life on this earth than we realize. There's something about our culture that teaches us that we're separate. But I got to tell you, not only does Mother Nature always bat last, she's always at bat. Our connection to the natural world is what we live from. It's not a luxury that we should allow only to some more wealthy countries or something. We have a great, great responsibility to restore what we've destroyed, to clean up what we've polluted as much as we possibly can. And when you eat lower on the food chain, when you eat less meat, when you eat more organically, when you eat more fruits and vegetables and less bacon and eggs, eat more fruits and vegetables and less burgers and fries, you're going to be healthier. Your mind is going to be clearer. You're going to love your life more. You're going to be inspired by your life more. And you're going to help create a more ethical and sustainable world, a more earth-friendly way of life, a more earth-friendly way of producing food, and a way of producing food that can last, that doesn't destroy the soil, that doesn't degrade the soil, doesn't pollute the water, and allows for future generations to be fed as well. That's beautiful, John. So today, TechCrunch reported that Bill Gates wants Western countries to eat synthetic meat. This news came out just couple of hours ago. And a company called Meatable has raised $47 million to make synthetic meat. What are your views on synthetic meat? Well, I won't eat it myself, probably. But, and I question how healthy it will be to eat. But it is no question the environmental impact and the, the humane impact is tremendous. So the benefits are tremendous. In other words, you're going to cause less pollution. You're going to cause far fewer greenhouse gas emissions. You're going to be eating less cruelty. There'll be less cruelty to animals involved. I'd rather eat fruits and vegetables myself, but as a transition food, because we have a lot of people that are used to eating a lot of meat, and this can be a product that will taste just like meat, that they will give them the gratification and the pleasure and the experience, the taste and mouthfeel that they're used to and that they like, while causing far less damage to the planet and far less pain to animals. And that's a win those are good things. So I'm giving you a rather nuanced answer to this. It's not just a yes or no. Yes, it's better. It's a lot better for the world than factory farm meat. Mm -hmm. Whether it's healthy or not for your body, that's an open question. That's a good response. I've visited some of the labs that make synthetic meat, and I was really impressed by what I saw. I visited these labs like in 2015 or 2016. And back then, to create a piece of meat the size of a Pringles potato chip, that piece of meat would cost 99 bucks. This was, of course, six years ago. The price is going to be dropping exponentially, but I don't think we are anywhere close to synthetic meat being, or at least lab-grown meat, which is meat printed through 3D printing. We're not anywhere close yet to getting this out there, but there's some exciting developments in the field. Now, John, this brings me to the next question. What is a day in your life like when it comes to your diet and your healthy routine? So let's talk about, paint a picture for us. What do you eat? Do you meditate? Do you do yoga? How do you stay healthy and fit? I do a form of yoga every morning. I have done that for 50 years, actually. I'm 74. And I meditate every day. Then when I eat, I eat pretty light. Usually in the morning, I have a smoothie. This morning, I did. It's made up of green leaves, usually kale or collard, sometimes chard or spinach. Sometimes arugula gets in there, different green veggies, and maybe a banana and maybe some pineapple if we have it around. Always some freshly ground flax and chia seeds. I have a dedicated coffee grinder that I use just for flax and chia seeds. They're fabulous, but they oxidize rapidly. So you want them as fresh as possible. And that's accomplished by just grinding the seeds in your own kitchen. 
These are relatively and inexpensive seeds, and they're remarkably healing in their benefits to the body. So that they'll always be in my smoothies. I'll also put sprouts. I grow broccoli sprouts in my kitchen. They are very high in sulforaphane, which is a remarkable cancer-fighting substance. I'll also put in maybe some apple and a carrot and what other vegetables we have. Sometimes it's celery, sometimes it's cucumber, sometimes it's whatever other vegetables we have, maybe some other fruits. And I blend it up, sometimes walnuts in there too. You know, each day is a little different, but it's delicious. It's remarkable how it gets me going. Later on in the day, I might have a sandwich and the bread will be a whole grain sourdough bread or a sprouted grain bread, always organic wheat. Sometimes I just, instead of bread, I'll have quinoa, a bowl of quinoa or a buckwheat or some other gluten-free whole grain. And if it's a sandwich, I might put tempeh on it and sauerkraut and some spices and herbs. And for dinner, I always eat huge salads, huge salads. My salads are so big, you wouldn't believe them. And I put everything in them. They're not just an iceberg lettuce and a tomato that isn't really a tomato. <laughs> it's everything, all different kinds of vegetables, as wide a variety of fresh whole plant foods as possible. You make these yourself? Yes, we do. My wife often does. I do also. We also make a lot of fresh soups, vegetable soups, particularly in the winter. You're completely meat-free. We are. We are and have been for many, many decades. I'm not asking people to do that. If that's your ethics, if that's what your heart wants, fine. That's what I want to do. And that's what I do. It works for me. And it is a healthy way to go if you know how to do it right. But the point is to eat less meat, to eat fewer processed foods, to take steps in the right direction. When you do that, you're strengthened by those steps because you feel better, you lose weight, your system is more alive and clear. And then what happens is you're motivated to take another step and then another step. And pretty soon you are where you want to be. You're on your path. You're living a life that you love. And that's what this is about. And you're doing it in a way that blesses the world that doesn't prey on the world, doesn't treat the rest of life as a resource to be consumed, treats the rest of life with reverence and respect. All of you who are listening right now, I want you, as we continue this conversation, I want you to try to think of one thing you can change about your behavior. I'm going to continue asking John a couple of questions so we can continue learning, but I want you to think of one thing you can change about your behavior. Now, John, what I got already, I'm making a note of this, I love the idea you just said of flax and chia seeds, grinding them in a coffee grinder. I never thought of that. So I'm going to start investigating that and seeing how I can integrate that into my diet. Now, what I mean, folks, by investigating is I'm going to start Googling the benefits of flax and chia seeds. I'm going to educate myself, and I'm going to see if I can make that tiny shift in my diet. And what you said about giant salads, I realize I'm primarily a meat eater. Now, that's just because I grew up in Indian culture. Now, growing up in Indian culture, in Northern Indian culture, it's a meat-based culture. We eat chicken tikka. We eat curries with meat in it. Indians eat a lot of meat with a lot of rice and a lot of non-bread, not necessarily the most healthy thing. I cook at home right now. I live in Europe. I live in Estonia. And Estonia is an amazing country for food, but I cook at home and I tend to make a lot of Asian dishes, which are very meat-heavy. The second commitment I'm going to make is to reduce my meat consumption by 30% starting today. Folks, for those of you listening, there's a principle in transformation called rate of application, ROA. The faster your rate of application, the faster your ability to grow and transform yourself. You do not have to say, you know, let me think about it and let me figure out how to lower my meat consumption next month. Screw that. Do it today. I'm going to do it starting today. That means starting tomorrow, my meat consumption is going to go down by 30%. Starting tonight, I'm going to start Googling and researching some of the things you've recommended, like chia seeds and flax. Okay, I want to ask that all of you listening make that commitment. It will help you create rapid shifts in your life. Now, let's go on to the next question, John. Rapid fire question. What are three documentaries we should look at, we should watch, that are available on Netflix or HBO or Hulu that can transform idea of food, nutrition, and its planetary impact? Change makers. It's an incredible documentary about superb athletes, Olympic athletes, professional athletes, people who are so fit and so conditioned and whose bodies and performance is at the very top of what's humanly possible and what they eat and how they're finding that eating less meat and less processed foods and less sugar 
increases their ability to perform at the level that they're performing, where competition is extremely tight, but the rewards of winning are enormous. And these people are very dedicated. They're very competitive. They'll do whatever it takes to win. Some of them cheat. Some of them use hormones and drugs and anabolic steroids and whatever else to try to gain an advantage. We don't favor that. Some of them are using plant foods and healthy foods and eating clean and light and just eating foods that are really what their bodies are intended to thrive on. And they're finding that they do better. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's featured in this documentary. He was a huge advocate for it. So some data for those of you listening, Changemakers has a 70% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is amazing. That's anything 70% and higher is an A category documentary or movie. And it's about this guy called John Wilkes who travels the world on a quest for the truth about meat, protein, and strength. And it features elite athletes who are on a plant-based diet. And this is counterintuitive, but strongly, strongly recommended. John, what's the second documentary? I'll get to that. I want to say one more thing. In that movie, The Changemakers, that just blew my mind, they took three USC college football players, athletes, strong guys, fast guys, fast runners, you know, really fit in their early 20s, kind of in the prime of that type of male energy. And they fed them one night a meat-based diet. It was all organic meat, by the way. And then they, that night, they hooked their penis up to a certain device that measures, with their, of course, with their permission, obviously, measures any erections they might have during the night, how long lasting they are, how firm they are, how long they are. This actually get a lot of data from these graphs, from these devices. Then the second night, same guys, they gave them a really healthy plant-based meal and did the same thing. And in all three cases, each of the three athletes, they found that they had longer erections, longer lasting, firmer and more frequent erections during the night that they ate the plant-based meal than when they ate the meat-based meal. And the differences between the nights were dramatic. It wasn't just subtle or slight. It was really emphatic. So much so that when these athletes who were college jocks, they're meat eaters, they don't think a lot about health. They're blessed physically. They're very strong and fit. When they saw the data, they all said, I'm going to eat plant-based, particularly any time when I have a date that night. The film crew that filmed all this, you know, it didn't film their erections, but filmed their response when they were told what the data had shown by the urologist conducting the experiment. The film crew all turned and decided to change their diets too. You know, it speaks to something. It speaks to our vitality. And it speaks to our ability to love the people we love with our whole hearts and souls and bodies, to give from a cup that's full rather than a cup that's half full or a cup that's empty. And that's why that's really important. And I wanted to just underline that about that the movie, The Changemakers. If you get to see it, you'll love it. Strongly recommend it. John, what is the second documentary? I'm thinking about one called The Need to Grow. You can learn about that on foodrevolution.org, Food Revolution Network's website. And... It's a beautiful, beautiful, heartful film about people working to make a better world and a healthier diet and the difficulties and struggles they encounter as human beings in this world trying to do that. It's not a piece of cake movie. It shows the real struggles that are involved for real human beings trying to better themselves and better the world at the same time. They succeed in the end, but it's not without challenge and obstacles. And in that way, doesn't it reflect our own lives more? Because I don't know anybody who has an easy time being alive, particularly today. The challenges and stresses and anxieties and confusions of our world are enormous. The forebodings that a lot of us have about the future of life on earth and the future of our own lives, given the environmental conditions, given some of the trends that are taking place on our planet are very real. Anything we can do to stabilize and calm our nervous system and find our centermost part, our innermost guidance, and live from there, really, in times like these, it's really important. It won't be easy, but it's possible, and it's beautiful. It's each of our responsibility, I think, to find those steps, and that film, The Need to Grow, will help you do that, that you can take so that your life is brighter and your life is more filled with the things that give meaning to it and beauty to it and provide service to others. It's beautiful. I'm reading about it on Google right now. Interesting fact about the movie, 
It's produced by Rosario Dawson. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll know that Rosario Dawson is the actress who's going to be playing Ahsoka, the Jedi, in the new Disney television series. And it has a 96% thumbs up on Google. 96% of people like the movie. So strongly recommend it. It's about the importance of farmable soil. As John said, the movie has interesting lessons for all of us. John, what's the third one? The third one would be one that you find for yourself. I can recommend a bunch, but I'm going to shift the question just a little bit and suggest that when you look for yourself, when you bring your curiosity and your exploration energy and your sense of, I want to find something to this, it'll feed you better. It'll feed you more because you will have invested something. We don't get the rewards of a great life merely from following or listening to the advice of other people. We need to do that. We want to be informed. We want to take advantage of the wisdom and knowledge that's available to us. But we also need always to tune into and listen to the forces that are at work in our own being, that are leading us through our curiosities, through our sense of wonder, through our sense of reverence for life, through our sense of wanting to grow, through our sense of wanting to heal, through our frustrations and confusions with things as they are and wanting to grow past them personally and as a society and as a species. We need to tap into that. And when we do that, we feed each other. So I want to just answer that by saying you have within you something remarkable, something absolutely extraordinary and beautiful and wonderful. And it's when you tap into that in an informed way, certainly, listening to people like Vision and doing things like seminars that Mind Valley presents so that you can become all that you are meant to be. Thank you, John. I like that. I want to turn that question to the audience because I'm seeing there's a very healthy discussion happening right now on movies to watch to educate us about food. So type out, if you could recommend one documentary or movie, go ahead and type out the name. I'm going to read out maybe the most common names. I'm really seeing a couple come up and emerge. So there's Forks Over Knives. Forks Over Knives is coming up a lot. Forks Over Knives is a wonderful movie. I recommend it highly. I know the people that made it. I know the people who star in it. And I know the speakers in it very closely as colleagues and friends. Completely trustworthy, credible, valid, and inspiring. Amazing. So Forks Over Knives, 92% of people like the film on Google. And then there is Fed Up, Cowspiracy, and Okia. Okia is not really a documentary. It's a movie. It's a movie, but a very powerful lesson on our relationship with food. And with food animals. It's a fantasy. It's not a documentary. It's a movie that's entertaining and has a real message to it as well. My daughter and I were just looking for a movie to watch this weekend. I think I'm going to watch this with her. It stars Tilda Swinton, Jake Gyllenhaal, and I've heard a lot about this movie. This is an amazing movie. It has an 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. So thank you, guys. These were really good suggestions. Now I want to look at some of the questions which are coming in. And we're going to bring several people up if we have time to ask a question to John. Okay, so this is the question I'd like to choose. It's from Amy Wang. John, do you grow food by yourself? What is your idea and your thoughts on fertilizers? I understand that the conventional way of applying fertilizers is not the most efficient, even detrimental to the soil. To feed the most possible people in the healthiest way, how can we make sure we do not damage our soil? That's a really good question. I saw a comment from somebody that I want to respond to first. Okja, the movie that we were talking about, the person said is depressing. You know, I want to address that because it can be painful to see what's going on. In this particular case with this particular film, it's painful to see how animals are treated in factory farms. It is painful. It can be depressing. But I find it hopeful because when we see what's dark, we can bring light to it. When we see the cruelty that is inflicted on these animals, we can do something about it. If we don't see it, if we turn away, if we don't look at things that might bring us down temporarily, but they also might motivate us to act differently and give us the courage to do so, then we acquiesce to the status quo. And that is exactly what the food manufacturers who are making junk food, it is exactly what the companies that are treating animals this badly in order to give us cheap meat that's junk want. So I just want to say, have courage to face what may be unpleasant a little bit at first, 
but it ends up expanding your heart and expanding your life and expanding your capacity to respond. And we do need to respond to these things. Thank you. I want to go back to Amy's question. You remember the question or shall I read it again? I think I do remember. It's about fertilizers and about how do we grow food sustainably? Yeah. And the question was also, do you grow your own food? We do. At times in my life, I've grown more. I've had bigger home gardens than I do right now. But it's always wonderful if you can grow something. I mean, even just sprouts in your kitchen, broccoli sprouts or alfalfa sprouts or sunflower sprouts or buckwheat sprouts or whatever you like. Very fresh, very cheap, very nutritious. That's one thing, by the way, that if you want to make one step that be of real benefit, you know, that's got some leverage behind it, grow some sprouts in your kitchen. You can learn how to do that. You don't need fertilizer, of course, to do that. Just clean water. It's inexpensive to do that. When you're growing outdoors, though, and when we're growing to feed large numbers of people, which is what we need to do, what helps is if we eat lower on the food chain because the amount of land and resources that are required and fertilizers that are required to grow all the corn and soy and other feedstuffs that are fed to livestock is just extravagant. It's really extravagant. The amount of land that's needed to produce a plant-based diet is much less. The amount of water that's needed is much less. The amount of energy that's needed is much less. The amount of fertilizer that's needed is much less. And it's much more possible to grow that amount of food on that amount of land organically. When you have these huge monocrops, it is much harder to do that. That doesn't really work with the organic way. And it tends to decimate the soil. It causes the soil to erode. It pollutes the water. It pollutes the water all the way down into the ground table. It kills the wildlife. I mentioned the monarch butterflies and other butterflies that are dying because of our spraying Roundup and its active ingredient glyphosate on these massive monocrop fields of corn and soy genetically engineered to produce food to feed to livestock and factory farms. It's just a vicious circle and we can pull ourselves out of it. And then we find that we can grow cover crops because we don't have to work the soil to death getting crops out of it every season. We can take some time off and grow a cover crop, till that back in, that enriches the humus level in the soil, makes it more fertile, makes it deeper and richer, adds all kinds of minerals to it. When you use chemical fertilizers, you're just adding a few ingredients, nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus mostly. But plants need more than that. They need all the micronutrients. They need all the minerals. They need all of it to be healthy and for you to be healthy. The key mantra here is healthy soil, healthy food, healthy people. Amazing. Thank you for that answer. So, John, as we come to the tail end of this, the next question is actually related to the summit. So it's go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. And a lot of people are signing up. I just want the people who are listening to know that we don't get an affiliate fee or anything for this. I simply believe in supporting a food revolution. If you've seen my videos on Facebook and YouTube, my most popular videos are all activism videos that are about getting off and taking on big food companies like Coca-Cola, Kellogg, and Nestle. In fact, Mind Valley's most successful video ever is my video exposing what's going on behind the scenes in a typical American grocery store and how packaging is presented in such a way to seduce you and even often through blatant lies to put the wrong things in your body. So go check that out. If you Google Vision Grocery Store, you'll find it. You'll find that video with 50 million views. It has hit the front page of Reddit three times. I do this because I really believe in this mission and I'd love to get your support as well. So please go ahead and share the link. You can share go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. And John, tell us, who are some of the other speakers that you're going to be featuring? Oh, some wonderful people, Michael Greger, Michael Clapper, Dean Arnish, Joel Furman. These are really iconic figures in the food revolution, the food movement of our times. They're all heart-centered people. They all care about you and other people. They want to bring benefits that are science-based, that are credible, that you can count on, that are reliable to you for your use. They know that the medical profession knows very little about nutrition. We would think otherwise. We would expect otherwise. They're supposed to be experts in the body and health. But actually, what they have learned in medical school is nothing about nutrition, nothing about prevention, preventing disease. They've learned how to treat disease, how to diagnose disease, how to manage disease. So we call it health care, but it's really disease care. It's really disease management. 
And it has a place. There's wonderful things in Western medicine that we can avail of ourselves of. But one of the things Western medicine is not good at, and most doctors have no training in whatsoever, is nutrition. And I think that a doctor who doesn't know about the power of nutrition, and most of them don't, and it's not their fault, there's nothing taught about it in medical school. But I still think that a doctor who doesn't know about the power of nutrition to build health, to prevent disease, and to reverse disease, is a little bit like a firefighter who doesn't know about water. That's how powerful choosing your food carefully and conscientiously and in an informed way that works with your intuitive response to those foods can be. And that's why we have these speakers. They will provide you with different viewpoints. One of them is a Dr. Sarai Stancic, who recovered from multiple sclerosis, very advanced MS. You're not supposed to be able to recover from that. But the conventional thinking is that is a progressive and irreversible disease. She changed what she ate. She changed her diet. And her MS was completely reversed. She was walking barely with a cane. She was mostly in a wheelchair. And the prognosis was more of that. She's now a marathon runner. And she's an MD. She had the best available Western medicine, and it wasn't helping her. She was taking all the drugs. She was doing what she was told by her neurologist, but it didn't help. Western medicine doesn't have much of an answer to MS or to a lot of other chronic diseases. They just know how to manage the symptoms. But you'll learn in this summit, and it's free. We provide it for free to everybody so that you can learn what steps you can take, what foods you can eat, what foods you shouldn't eat, so that you can reverse the conditions that are bothering you, so that you can live the healthiest possible life that is possible for you. And it's probably a healthier one than you think it is. You probably are capable of a greater degree of health and vitality and vibrancy than you think now is actually the limit for you. There's greater life ahead. Thank you, John. And that's a great way to end. There's greater life ahead. So folks, that was John Robbins. The link is go.mindvalley.com forward slash food summit. You're in for a treat and your entire relationship with food and in a way your relationship with the way our earth functions is going to be going through a massive up-leveling. John, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you very much, Vishen. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.